I wrote a book about modern football. Okay. And one of the chapters I dealt with, one of my 11 questions, was how do we reform the transfer window? And I say, scrap it. Let the elite teams do what they like. For example, parachuting in Lionel Messi because Barcelona can't afford him. Um, yeah. But I, I wanted to um, use some secondary material, one of which was the transfer market, the inside stories. I wrote, okay. I, if I can quote myself, the most fun section is when fans make up players or better react to potential signings. One chap was famously spoken to by a Liverpool member of staff for persistently reacting negatively to transfer news in a pseudonymous Twitter feed where blank posted as blank. Uh, Duncan Jenkins and Sean Cummins. Yeah, very, very good. You're, you're, you've passed your specialist subject round, which is your book. <laughs> uh, yeah. Sean Cummins was threatened with a ban from Anfield for the simple crime of preempting the lineup announcement, which a friend of a player would post on a forum. Well, the um, response to that is the game has gone. Yeah, and he it, it got quite nasty as far as I can remember, and he, he did name the player. He was leaking it to a mate um, who was like a fringe player, but then he just sort of took punts on on rumours, and some of them, I think, in the early stages came off, which earned a bit of kudos. Um, but it was all a total nonsense, really. And <laughs> I think he was a new dad at the time, and oh, it was gosh. just a way to waste a bit of time when, when he was uh, up feeding baby at night and stuff like that, that snowballed. <laughs> but that's the... I'm, I'm now fascinated. I'm writing this book about the Youth Cup. Um, but okay. I think the next one, if I get the chance to do so, will be about the relationship between the fan and the professional footballer. Because at some point, it got blasted. And I think now the best thing would be for the player and the fan to come to some kind of arrangement. But when you've got Jorginho Vinaldum saying, I left Liverpool because the fans didn't like me, they would blame me for the defeat. That's not a good thing. I don't know if it works like that for no. Dundalk. They're, the scapegoats this season for Dundalk are they signed a number of overseas players and let go guys who've won a lot of league titles and done well in Europe and stuff, um, Irish players. So it's typically the uh, Central African Republic International that gets the flack or the Albanian goalkeeper. It's, it's quite uncommon in this league in Ireland to, to have overseas players, not, not least internationals. So they haven't really been up to scratch, but at the same time, a lot of the, a lot of the players who've been here for years haven't performed this season either. So there's a lot of stuff going on in the background that, um, that complicates that as well. Well, um, we, we are talking a day before a pivotal game. I mean, did Dundalk want to play in this conference league? Do you want to do Thursday night Channel 5? Oh, they'd, they'd love nothing less, uh, nothing more. Sorry, um, <laughs> Good. they've earned they've they've earned about I think between eight or eight and nine hundred thousand euro from their exploits so far this season. Um, to put that into perspective, if you win the League of Ireland, as far as I can recall, you get one hundred and fifty thousand euro. So Jesus, no wonder Dundalk keep winning the league. Well, exactly, yeah, but this season they, they've no chance. They, they, there was a bit of management turmoil and, and stuff going on behind the scenes between seasons, and it just they're lying in seventh in a 12-team, 10-team league, I think it is. So the Europe is really um, be-all and end-all um, because they've got sort of used to it. They got to the group stages of Europa last year and earned uh, quite a few million, but 
hasn't really been invested in the ground is in a, a terrible state. It hasn't changed much since I started going in the 80s as a kid. Mm. And then a lot of the money has been spent on these overseas players because they're only getting so far in Europe with, with domestic players. And I think a change of strategy um, was tried um, in the transfer window in winter, but it, only a couple of players have really, really performed or, or done as well as the, the previous incumbents in their position. So it's been a not a dis- disastrous season, but if they hadn't got so far in Europe so far, it would definitely go down as their worst season, maybe a decade. Mm, well, this home ground is tomorrow night, as we speak, hosting Vitesse Arnhem, who are part-owned by Chelsea. They had a few decent players that was there. It's their pre-season, so they, they looked a bit leggy in the later stages compared to the dock or over halfway through the domestic season, yeah. which has been a which has been a, a decisive factor, I think, in recent seasons. Like the Irish clubs are all doing well, apart from one in Europe this season with Bohemians. Um, I think it was a draw against PAOK uh, last week. Um, Sean McGrovers are doing, I think they're playing tonight. Um, so it's been pretty positive. It, it, usually just Dundalk in the last few years who've been the flag bearers, but there's been a few teams doing well this season. I have an amazing anecdote, and it involves Watford, so I think you know where this is going. Next to Watford Junction Station, there used to be two pubs next to each other. There was uh, the big one, the chain, I think the Weatherspoons, and the flag. Now, the flag was owned by an Irish family, um, one of whom would be behind the bar and would come in after his youth games. That youth player made a splash when Sean Dyche was manager of Watford in 2011-12, and Watford came within a whisker of beating Tottenham in the FA Cup. That boy, Sean Murray, he's one of our own. Uh, unfortunately, Sean got pushed out, uh, but I've seen him play many times. And imagine my surprise when he scored in the, was it Europa League for Dundalk last year? Yeah, he scored more than one, I think. Good. Good. Uh, tried to campaign. Yeah, he hasn't been a first-team regular this season, really. He, he, he tends to come on quite a bit as a substitute and they were rotating a few players at the weekend between the, the first and second leg in Europe and I think he started in the league on Sunday. But, he, yeah, he hasn't been... He, he is a good player but he and he had a great reputation when he joined from from Watford. But um, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure why he hasn't pushed on. He, he had a couple of injuries and possibly... Yeah, I think been injuries. There was a couple of COVID cases and close contacts... Uh, so it's been a bit messy um, this season. A few players travelling down from Northern Ireland together to training and stuff. So it's been a bit disjointed, I think, his, his last year, maybe. Yeah. Well, I, w- I wish him well, because it's great whenever a Watford diaspora figure does succeed. I mean, we're still big on Alman Abdi here. He hasn't played for us for four or five years. Does oh, yeah. Troy Deeney's memoir, Redemption, interest you at all? I don't tend to read um, footballers' autobiographies. It's possibly a character who I might pick it up. I spent so long reading football books that I've sort of taken a break this year and just because I've been neglecting all sorts of other stuff, just fiction or or history and things like that. So it's possibly one. Uh, I think the last one I may have read was Pirlo's. Isn't it great? Pirlo's is a great... I love Pirlo's book. Yeah, it was quite short, though. Yeah. Sort of um, disappointed. I, I think I read it on holidays one year, and it was, was quite surprised. I possibly read it in a day or two, maybe. He is an aristocrat, like Gianluca Vialli. He doesn't need the job. He didn't need to do the Juventus job last year. Um, no. But yes, a wizard and his Penenka, um, 
beat England the other year. Oh, yeah, Joe Hart. Yep, Joe Hart, who is now third choice. Is it Celtic? Yes. Yeah, he joined Celtic last week, and James McCarthy as well. I suppose you're Celtic rather than Rangers. Stenhouse Murr. Oh, interesting. Good answer. Why? And my dad would just pick random clubs looking at scores <laughs> on CFAX on a Saturday and took a shine to them. And I think around 96, my mate was working and living in Glasgow and me and another mate went over and got a train, bus and taxi to Ockyview Stadium. And uh, we were one of maybe a thousand there to see a Stennis murder feat. How many did Dundalk get? Well, the last year has been like Johnny Leg won fifty at the moment because of mm. COVID. Uh, they're led fifteen hundred tomorrow night, but that has to be played in Dublin uh, due to grand regulations for the stage in Europe. So they they get three or four thousand, maybe I think the capacity is six and a half thousand. Well, um, yeah. so I, I, I do a bit of work with the club on like um, content and video ideas and stuff like that and we did a fundraiser this year for a former uh, women's player who fundraising for life saving cancer treatment and we were trying to beat the, the attendance of the, sorry, the capacity of six and a half thousand so you know, I figure it's still in my mind but I don't think they uh, Isaac Games in the 90s friendlies against um Celtic and Liverpool it was Mark Wright and Dean Saunders debut and there was so many in the ground I was at 13 at the time I think and they just let any uh, juniors out onto the pitch around the pitch mm-hmm. just guys on top of the floodlights it was probably 10,000 at, at those type of games um, but in the 70s it may have been 20,000 maybe I'm not quite sure but the League of Ireland as John Delaney and, and that's Ooh. a book you should read Champagne Football it's probably the last football book I read about John Delaney John Delaney's reign in, as the FAI chairman but he called the, the League of Ireland the, the FAI's problem child so it's totally neglected Jesus um, that's terrible um, even on yeah. John Delaney's standard that's one of the worst things he said uh, I, is it true that it's the best selling book uh, of recent years in Ireland John Delaney or the, the Champagne, Champagne Football, football possibly Champagne Football I, 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 would, I wouldn't be surprised at all no? and not just sport he's a character that you know everyone even if you don't follow football grannies not kids but like everyone would know John Delaney and his reputation and all, all that type of thing so mm. it would have been of interest to people beyond um, the football world I guess that's interesting. I suppose if you were still running comedy clubs, everyone would have a bit. They'd have a Delaney bit. Yeah, I definitely did. I think back in the day, I can't. I can't. Remember. I get flashbacks to jokes I used to tell that are totally people under eighteen probably wouldn't get them. They're that old. So, uh, it's um, yeah. Uh, we probably had John Delaney stuff and a lot of stuff you might get away with now. So libel and slander. Yes, indeed. Yes. He's he's very litigious, and even saying that makes yes. me wary that he could sue. But um, yeah, the, yeah. the nature of comedy today, I've gone off it. It's me too. Completely... Me too. Um, I started stand up in '04. I was in a year backpacking and stuff in Australia, and went to Sydney Comedy Store. It went well. I won a few competitions over there, and came back. And it was always with an eye on writing a sitcom, though. Um, never really had any ambitions to do stand-up and then sort of did okay and then I started running clubs and they went very well and got a good reputation and booked big acts and sort of it was a, an accident 
almost um, just because of one night in Sydney but yeah I've, t- I've sort of haven't missed it during the whole COVID lockdowns I, d- I did still run one gig like once a month maybe but I haven't really missed performing or watching it I sort have... of lost a bit of love for it over the years I encountered Dara O'Brien in the underpass outside uh, Possero in Edinburgh. I was running from one thing to another in the rain. I just couldn't help myself. I just went, hello, Dara. Hello. So that's my Dara O'Brien anecdote. I had a lovely chat with Andrew Ryan in about 2011, who was a lovely, lovely guy. Very, oh, um, yeah. very lovely Irish comedian. There, yeah, I'm just thinking of all the tremendous Irish, because it's part of the blood. You're a storytelling nation. You invented country music and exported it to America. Andrew Maxwell, I once interrupted. How he was eating, I just said, "I'm sorry. I just, I really admired your piece in the Scotsman," and I left him alone. Have you run into Maxwell in the past? Uh, no, because it's funny. The three people you mentioned would not be in Ireland that often. Oh, it's, okay. it's almost a joke that you need to you need to move to London to make it in comedy if you're Irish. Just it's such a small pool and it's such a small circuit. You really need to go to London, and you know that that hinders a lot of people who may have young families and things like that, and commitments and stuff. So it's a big plunge. I know a lot of people who moved over um, in the last few years and sort of came back then when when COVID hit and they're back to their normal jobs and things now. So yeah, there's sort of a ceiling glass or a ceiling here where you sell out gigs to three or four hundred people. Um, do a bit on orgy and you know it's not much more you can do really so So, yeah the next step is yes go to london some of the best cinema i've seen is uh his name is john once is one of my favorite pieces of cinema because it showcases dublin and by extension ireland really really well in terms of music i actually know a guy who was in the chorus who on stage of the london performance when it transferred with ronan keating as the guy. Okay. On, uh, I didn't know he was in that. In the, in the West End. It was an easy gig for him. It's not, it's not yeah. a big stretch. It's not a reach. Yeah, um, yeah I guess. But when, and I know a lot of Irish musicians as well. Being Irish, um, you've obviously had little success with the football. You didn't qualify for the Euros. It's a very precarious situation, the Republic of Ireland, because the international team went on this horrific run. I suppose you won't mind if... Error, don't go to Qatar. Um, I very much doubt they will. Um, they're sort of rebuilding now after the whole um, Mick McCarthy's return, where you know, guy Stephen Kenny, who was the dock manager due to glory oh, yes, years course, there in yeah. the past, he's sort of rebuilding. There's a lot of young players, and you know, if I if I if Ireland were playing tonight and I switched it on, I may not recognise four or five of them. Like it's 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 a far cry from the Euro '88 and Italian '90 squads, where it was Arsenal, Liverpool, Man United, Nottingham Forest players, Aston Villa players. It's guys now at Rotherham and and places like that, supplemented by a couple of Premier League players, but no one, there's no real star. Um, but there is a lot of promising young talent. Um, but whether they'll be good enough, like there's a guy Michael Obafemi at. At Hampton, yeah. and he was hyped quite a bit. Now I think, I think they're selling them to Blackburn Rovers. So there's, you know, I just don't know if we'll ever reach those levels again. But they're very hard to watch. Uh, well, like, very hard. Like I, I've watched. I, I used to cover football for for Twitter accounts and in the evenings. And you know, if there was an Ireland game on, I'd go, oh God, <laughs> like it's it's going to be very low scoring, yeah. possibly 
Shane Duffy header in the last minute might nick a draw or a win, but you know, and that's if it's against Liechtenstein or Austria, it doesn't really matter. It's just it's tough at the moment, yeah. Yeah, we're we're talking uh, before the next three: Portugal away, Azerbaijan at home, Serbia at home. You might struggle with Azerbaijan, and then you go to Baku in October, where this show will come out. Um, actually, no, the show's coming out in a couple of weeks because I wanted to get it out because the transfer window does slam shut and it always... It doesn't kind of lower very lazily. It never lazily lowers. It always slams shut. But I think this year it will lazily lower. Uh, the Transfer yeah. Market, The Inside Stories is your second book. It followed Retired, What Happens to Footballers When the Game's Up. I, I noted down this sentence. When Harry Redknapp called Jim White to say that Robbie Keane was about to sign on loan for Celtic, something like 3,000 Celtic fans were at the ground waiting for him. And I'll um, park that and say, do you, you've seen the pictures from the part the Ponce this morning? Oh, yeah, yeah. Burks trying to get a little bit of stardust on their backs because somehow they can afford these shirts. But that's what it is. Messi is a content creator. He's not a footballer anymore. Yeah, and, and I, I have seen... Um... People saying they'll make the money back in shirts, but then people uh, refuting that by saying, look, they need to sell four or five times what they currently do every year. So um, I'm sure there's plenty of sponsorships, though, and things like that that will will make it worthwhile. But it was really one of maybe two or three possible destinations for him. It's still hard to believe that it's it's happened, but like he wasn't going to rock up at Watford or Dundalk, put it that way. No. Um but why would you? Why would you want to see him? Yeah, well... Um, I'm, I'm in the middle of this book about Man City, reading it. Um, and the point is that the modern team is a system. And widgets come in, and it's a, the squad game. And Jack Grealish might only start 25 league games, but he'll come on in the other 12 and win the games for them. And if you've got a deep squad, then you'll win the league. Messi, I don't even know if he's going to play... Neymar always goes missing in February and March... PSG has no problem winning a league. Apart from last season. Yeah, and that's partly why the Qataris are so upset. They've pressed the nuclear button uh, and they've freed up some of the sovereign wealth. But it's it's ludicrous. When you watch Champions League games, you're watching geopolitics play out. It's not football. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I sort of, I've sort of fallen in love a bit more with League of Ireland this year because of that and because I've been working with the club this first season. I've done a bit. So... I, there was a European game on recently in the Euros. It could have been England. It was a big game. I'm not quite sure, but there was a dark league game flashing with it with maybe 10 men and a dog at it or something. And I just watched the dark game and I'd been looking forward to it all day. So I think there is sort of a push away from the grotesque wealth. And I think the Super League may have mm-hmm. exacerbated that for many people. But it's not just that. It's um, the vicarious ancillary additions to the football landscape. Twitter accounts, Twitter memes, um, the fact that the BBC Sport always mentioned that there is racism, but nothing seems to be done about it. So they keep mentioning it. So I say, well, they're on the right side of history now. Uh, You've got Arsenal Fan TV, who still exists somehow. Um, With Watford, you have angry fans who... I don't know if you know what's happened with Watford. We've got promoted. This manager has not had one game of experience in the top division. He'll be gone by the end of November. And I'll, I'm willing to, unfortunately, bet money on that. Because somehow, 
yes, it's good to get up to the Premier League, but if you're playing top, top, top teams and you're the 18th best team, he, he's welcome to prove me wrong, but uh, Shishko Munoz, I think, will, will struggle. I am sure that uh, Christian Gioretta, who is the director of football at Watford now, will have read the transfer market, the inside stories. I'm trying to remember if there was any Watford stuff, because uh, it came out three years ago. It was a very, very enjoyable and quick read, because I knew the basics. I knew what a Jim White was. Um, this will yes. be the first. This will be the first transfer window where Jim White is not on Sky Sports. Of course, yeah, yeah. It's funny this season. I, I like there's a stat in my book, and I can't remember the exact figures, but it was on the last day of the transfer window in August uh, a few years back. I think maybe 140 deals were done, and on the, the first day of August there was only a handful. So it's this panic buying, and clubs seem to have got their business done a little earlier this year despite the Euros and things, but I'm sure there'll still be a lot of, of this panic buying, which, you know, even players can't believe. And, you know, they're given a call out of the blue on, on deadline day, being asked to move to the other side of the country, whatever, and drag their kids out of school and move house yet again. So it's 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 crazy when, when you think of the money involved, the lack of planning and a lot of, of these last-minute last minute buys is ridiculous really yeah it is you have to think from a human cost and especially now that the mental health side of things of which more in the second half uh, are so prevalent Marvin Sordell has spoken about the fact that he was told on deadline day we need to sell you to keep the club afloat and that that more or less wrecked his career which is a, a real shame and it does matter my yeah. question that I was searching towards was do you advise Dundalk on player incomings i.e. do you give him the book no. No, no, I've had no input in any of that. I'm sort of um, a, a freelancer working through a third party. So uh, mm-hmm. Jim Jilton is director of football there now, so I think that's his bag. I would jokingly see someone has been released somewhere maybe and, and send a text to someone or WhatsApp to someone. But no, I wouldn't get involved in that sort of side of things. Yes, um, I, I would tend to trust Jim Jilton, who played in the... I spoke to a chap who was an Ipswich fan earlier today, played in George Burley's Ipswich team. Yeah. Jim Jilton. Nice nice bloke? Yeah, yeah. Met him. He's in the job since maybe December or so, so he's he's had his hands full because he was caretaker manager for, for maybe half a dozen games as well. So it's it's been a... It's, Bit of a, a mad season, really, on and off the pitch. So, yeah, but yeah. It's that, that's his remit. And it's not something I'd have experienced in, uh, really, apart from just writing the book. On, and the book really isn't about football, I guess. It's more about the, the personal side of things, which um, the first book probably was, too. Yes, I mean, Nigel, uh, I was going to call him Nigel Tufnell, Nigel Tassel. Um, I will get his name right, who's got a book out uh, this month as well, wrote Boot Sale. I don't know if you contrasted your book with Boot Sale, which came out after yours. So I actually read... I didn't read that. I read them both back to back. I preferred yours. But okay. Yeah. Was there, I haven't read his second one. I loved his um, one on the non-league. And it was at the bottom oh, corner. The bottom corner. The, Brilliant. corner. the bottom corner yeah. is fantastic. His new one is called The Hard Yards, which is about championship football, which is a stupendous book to write. Um, especially during a pandemic. But if anyone can do it, it's Nige. Wrote a really good book yeah. called Mr. Gig, which is one of the best books I've ever read, about him putting on various gigs, using his expertise from his student days and his contacts in the music industry. And Nige is, I'm hopeful to get him on um, because he's a great writer. But yes, certainly your book, Inside the Transfer Market, it's the stories of the players, of the men. But particularly good 
in your book, and I think anthology-worthy, which is my favourite term to describe something that's good, all that stuff about liaison officers. <laughs> Watford now have them. They stick players in St Albans, and if something goes wrong and they can't speak English, uh, the, supporter lia- the player liaison officer helps them out, the PLO. Yeah, and it, it came about, I spoke to uh, Lorna McClelland, who was, the, I think, the first ever player liaison officer at... Um, and it was at Aston Villa, possibly under Graham Taylor, where they'd signed Juan Pablo Angel from Colombia. And he flew over with his family. I think his, his one-year-old child became very sick um, upon arriving in England. They were put up in a hotel and subsequently kicked out because it had been double-booked with a, an auto dealer's event or, or something like crazy like that. And it was just did a, did a melting pot of... of of nationalities and languages and everything at the club and I think she spoke maybe a few languages so it was sort of informal at first but I think she was the pioneer in it and it's got to the point where yeah as you said Watford have one I think them dog possibly could have someone who gets involved because they've had players from South Korea and Latvia Central African Republic um, Faroe Islands Norway this season whereas before it would have been guys maybe in Dublin um, yes. <laughs> so it's, it's become a necessity even here like over the course of both books like they can become over-reliant on on the club handling even small things which is why when retirement happens it can become a, a huge issue just dealing with normal regular stuff day-to-day life like I spoke to uh, Benoit Astorakoto who played for Tottenham famously hates football uh, Yes, yeah, and didn't know um, didn't know where Spurs were on the table, didn't know who they were playing until maybe the day before a game or something, couldn't care less, but, you know, he, it got to the point where he was calling out Spurs player liaison officer to show him how to work his new Hoover, you know, and it's that total, like I, I spoke to Niall Quinn, who wrote the foreword for my first book about his time at, at, as chairman at, at Sunderland, and they put a a young guy from overseas up in a really nice apartment in the city centre and he, he kept complaining that he couldn't get his clothes clean and the player liaison officer went out to his apartment and he'd been putting them in the dishwasher. So it's it's that total molly coddling, I think, that can come back to bite. Like there's a quote in my, my first book that Johnny Giles said he was fifteen when he left Ireland to go and play football in England and 20 years later when he returned he was still 15 you know even the most level headed players I spoke to over the course of both books have admitted like it's, it's almost like a military lifestyle where mm. you know you, you, you know what you're doing every day you know what you have to eat when to sleep like the club even holds your passports it's but then when you leave at 35 um, it's difficult to deal with um, that fact alone never mind the losing your profession where you, you were um, always known maybe as from from a kid as Jonathan the footballer now you're just Jonathan and you've got 45 years left to figure out what to do with the, the rest of your life so so many issues but a lot of people I spoke to said maybe the clubs do, do too much but it, it's definitely it, it's obviously it's necessary to whole player liaison side if you're so, particularly if you're signing players from overseas and getting them settled quickly because you know, when someone, and that's why I sort of been interested in writing the second book because you read all the headlines about transfer rumors and then you read about the signings and the player holding the scarf aloft, but you really don't see or hear about what's going on in the background. Um, 
So I thought it was particularly interesting speaking to overseas players who, who arrived in the UK for the first time and maybe didn't speak the language, had never even been to to England before, which was you know fascinating to to see how stuff off the pitch affected them settling in with the club and settling in the country. And it was you know it's a lot of stuff fans don't really think about when they're blasting players after their first ten games and they haven't performed maybe. It's a book for informed fans, The Transfer Market, The Inside Stories, which I think was twelve ninety nine. I'm not even sure. Uh, I'll have a copy in front of yeah, me. Yeah, please, please in do. In Ireland, it would be a lot more. Uh, of course, yeah. Yeah, twelve ninety nine. Yeah, I'm not sure. In, in euros, there's a tends to be quite a markup on, on stuff like that. Uh-huh. There isn't over here because of Brexit. No, it's not because of Brexit. Yeah. <laughs> it's because of the 